As Gil said, the seven factors of awakening can be seen as our inner wealth, the jewels of the practice. The qualities of these seven factors are available to us in our daily lives and in daily practice. And as we continue to practice, those qualities can develop and mature into beautiful mental states that can lead to awakening. Today I'll talk about two of the factors, joy and tranquility, the fourth and the fifth. As the mind becomes settled, the hindrances get suspended and mindfulness then can become continuous. It then strengthens our investigation, which in turn, when investigation is strong, it leads to arousing effort. And as effort matures, it becomes effortless. It frees up energy, which creates the conditions for arousing joy. And this is how the factors work when uh, they're well-developed. Each factor creates the conditions for the next one to mature. Um, When I first uh, started this practice, um, I was a little bit on the leery side. Um, In particular, learning about joy. I wasn't happy about it. I didn't welcome it. As a, as a teenager, I was part of a spiritual group that was um, a little bit on the cultish side where everyone was expected to be bubbly and happy. If anyone asked anyone else how they were, the answer was an enthusiastic, great. And that was the only acceptable answer or something similar. Um, and it felt for me as a teenager, e- even though, um, you know, it's really engaged with the group, it still felt really, uh, phony was the word that I would use. And so when I started reading about joy, you know, it made me leery. <laughs> it took me a while that it was referring to this quality of joy, uh, that's already present in all of us. And this quality of joy joy can take different forms at different times. When um, When we have joy, um, if a child is sick, you know, it's, it's not something, you know, we don't want to jump up and down in happiness. You know, we, 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 but we might have a sweet joy of the intimacy we have when we take care of them. Even if they're sick, there can be a sweet joy in it. And, uh, you know, when we're um, uh, seeing a long lost friend, we can have a very bubbly type of joy that maybe naturally arises. So joy can take a lot of different forms, including in meditation. So when we practice these seven factors, um, you know, they're present at all levels of practice. For example, you can't have a steady mindfulness without investigation. 
because that's what allows us to see the difference between being distracted and being present. So we're already being investigating. It's not something so complicated. It's just really seeing. It's quite, quite easy to tell whether we're distracted or not. And you can't train the mind to be mindful with that effort. And every time we start our sitting, take a deep breath and relax, we're training the mind uh, with calm. And as we keep breathing and the mind and body get relaxed, we can have a natural sense of ease and well-being, of joy. Ease is one of the other words that, that we sometimes use for, for joy. It's a type of joy. So with the practice, we develop these natural qualities. We refine them. And then there, when the hindrances are suspended, when our mindfulness is continuous, then they're able to fully bloom. We can uh, view these seven factors in terms of um, whether they're energizing or whether they're calming. And um, with uh, mindfulness is seen as neutral. And the next three, which is what we've done so far, we've covered so far, investigation, effort, and joy, they're seen as energizing. And the last three that uh, we'll be covering are, are seen as calming, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And sometimes we can use these attributes of energizing or calming them to balance the mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Was I supposed to mute that? <laughs> um, for instance, if your mind, if the mind is sluggish with sloth and torpor, one of the ways to energize the mind is by carefully looking at the details of our experience, the details of our sleepiness, the way the body feels, that heaviness, or the way the mind, um, uh, for me, I get these little, I call them dreamlets, these little fragmented pieces of thoughts that are nonsensical. Uh, so noticing those little details, investigation, is, brings energy. Whenever we bring focus to something, it energizes us. Or if the mind is restless, we can help settle the mind with the calming factors. Um, we can expand our attention to kind of a wide, spacious, calm, very large field of attention. Um, listen to sounds, or just open the attention very wide. And that tends to calm the mind sometimes. Um, but there's, diff there's different ways of calming the mind. That's just one of the ways. But so we're using these um, energies to balance how we are. But we don't want to over-manipulate. You know, that's, um, um, you know, it might be more practical to use them, um, you know, when we'll kind of feel a little bit stuck. 
like we're stuck and we can't quite, you know, move out of it uh, or explore it really well. So the Pali word for joy is pity, P-I-T-I. Um, sometimes it's defined as rapture, rapt interest, intense interest, or pleasurable interest, um, or ease. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't, uh, that, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, it's, up, it's often referred to as rapture. And uh, the problem with the word rapture is that it implies intensity. And for some people, uh, when you develop rapture very strongly, it can be very intense, but it's not necessarily so. It doesn't mean that you didn't um, develop it. It's just different for different people or different at different times. Um, so rapture can sometimes give us an expectation of something that, um, that, that isn't helpful. So I prefer um, uh, joy or rapt interest. This Dharma joy refreshes and delights the mind and body. It's been described as a wonderful feeling of a cool breeze on a hot summer day. When joy is present, it brings an affection to any experience. This affection towards whatever arises strengthens our interest in what's happening. We've all experienced joy in our lives, maybe the warm joy of petting a dog. Uh, so that's the affection, you know, it's like we feel very warm. And, and um, so when we feel joyous towards our, our experience, it has this uh, warmth to it. We've experienced the joy of greeting an old friend. And maybe um, many of you have had the experience of maybe being sick or having a headache, feeling miserable, and unexpectedly you get involved in a conversation that's particularly interesting, and you have a rapt interest in it, and completely forget about the pain of the headache or about feeling sick. And that's joy. Joy can arise even if we're in pain. Joy can arise even if we're sick. And there's a sweet joy that can accompany our meditation. And we can encourage the joy in our daily sits and our, during our retreat. Whenever we relax attention, it encourages joy. It's like, ah, oh, that feels good. You know, that's that feeling of, of a sweet, sweet joy. Or we let go of a hindrance, you know, we're so caught up and then suddenly the mind's like, oh, I don't have to worry. Um, and the mind just feels lighter and happier. When we practice with a wholesome attitude of interest and we welcome whatever comes up, that helps 
support the growth of joy in our meditation. When we drop our distractions, we feel connected with ourselves, with life. And that's a different, that's, that's a very close joy, that intimacy is a joy. And as mindfulness and investigation become stable, we're no longer working at it. Mindfulness is just being mindful. We're staying on the object of meditation. Uh, we're seeing clearly. And that steady effort just becomes effortless. And then that can arouse a stronger kind of meditative joy. The meditative joy can be said to have two aspects. The first one is like an intense pleasure, uh, this pleasurable energy that gets released in the body. The body is filled with joy. But it can take various forms. Different, different people uh, respond very differently to this. Sometimes it can be very smooth and a gradual pleasure, kind of a happiness and exhilaration filling the whole body. Sometimes we get these momentary jolts of pleasure or momentary jolts of energy, you know, and um, uh, for instance, you know, I've had my arm jerk, you know, just kind of out of nowhere. Um, sometimes that, um, so, um, and then other people sometimes or at other times, we can get waves of pleasure over and over and they can get really intense. Another way it can arise is as a rapt interest in the moment. And we're delightfully contented with our experience. It's a, it's a little bit like being in love. If you've ever been in love, um, you know, or beloved is, every, everything your beloved does is fascinating and lovable. Uh, every moment is like, it did, oh yeah, look at that, they're scratching their head. Um, you know, it's just, we're, we're in, um, so engaged with that love. A rapt interest, it's like being in love with the moment. It's being in love with the present, whatever the object of our attention is. If we're paying attention to the breath, boy, that, that breath is my lover. Um, so it's that, that really wonderful interest, you know, the interest, uh, and, and neither is better or, or less, or feels less whole than the other, whether we have the pleasurable energy that releases in the body or the experience of this rapt joy, they both feel uh, complete and whole. Um, another way it's been described um, is as an anticipatory joy. Now, when I heard that, it sounded a little bit contradictory. Um, but I, as I thought about it a little bit more, I realized um, it's a deep confidence that, yes, I can fully be here and let go of it easily because the next moment will be just as worthwhile. Whatever comes is interesting and valuable. This anticipatory joy. Um, and... Um, I'll give you an example from my uh, childhood. Um, 
When I was very young, uh, my parents took me to see the ocean for the first time. I still remember this. It was so, so poignant for me. Uh, you know, I don't know if I was four or five or so. Uh, I was in the back seat of the car and we slowly drove up a hill, you know, kind of a steep hill. And, you know, we knew, I knew the ocean was coming. So it's just kind of looking, looking, looking. And finally we reached the peak. And just as we reached the top, there it was, the majestic Atlantic Ocean. I was enthralled. I was just filled with joy. And I remember, you know, um, uh, you know, in Spanish, I, you know, I said, que lindo, que lindo, how beautiful, how beautiful. And it was this feeling of both a joy that felt complete and the excitement that the next moment would be just as good and the anticipatory joy. The Buddha spoke the difference between the joy associated with sense pleasures, and there's lots of joy associated with sense pleasures, such as sex or food, and the meditative joy that comes from our practice. Meditative joy can make us happy in a way that sense pleasures never can. Regardless how you're feeling right now, maybe you're experiencing joy right now. Maybe you're accompanied by one of the hindrances. It doesn't matter with this practice. The practice asks us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the moment to not hold back. When we continue to show up fully, and not just show up fully, but to attend to all our experience kindly, it gives rise to a feeling of meditative joy. It's the kindness that we give ourselves, the attention, the care, when, when we don't like what we find, when we don't like what we feel. And those are the times that we really grow. And, um, so value those times as much as you might value the meditative joy. Sometimes we encourage joy with a small smile, um, a saying yes to ourselves, to our experience, an attitude of welcoming, welcoming ourselves to our own minds. Sometimes what's helpful is a simple reminder, just may I be happy. And we water the seed of happiness. Just good wishes for ourselves. May I be happy. There can be challenges with a state of joy or rapture. For some people, it can be smooth and easy. But sometimes the physical energy can get really strong and even be unpleasant. So sometimes we have to get used to the intensity. And so it's really skillful that if it gets really unpleasant to just back off, back off a bit and, and just approach it a little at a time. The other thing that happens sometimes is that uh, when it feels really, really, feels really good and um, an attachment arises, an attachment to the experience and we miss it because we're so, it feels so good. 
and um, the attachment leads us to want to hold on to it. Or after it's over, and I think some of you, a number of you have experienced this, uh, you get really attached to trying to get it back, forgetting that these states are temporary and conditional, and they'll show up when they show up. And, um, and the more we strive after them, the harder it is to, to develop them. Um, personally, during the period of my practice, I had been experiencing a very strong joy for, for, for a little bit of time. And I absolutely didn't notice that desire and craving had crept in. And I just became obsessed with trying to get back there. And it just day after day, you know, and I couldn't get in, I couldn't get in. And, and I remember um, I was at IMS um, and, um, and I was just, just beginning to enter this exquisite, exquisite, you know, coming back to exquisite feeling. And somebody um, stood up, walked right in front of me to open a window and touched me. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I was just so upset, so attached. Um, and when I and and even when I got back to it, uh, when I came out of it, I always felt like I was let down, like I like I blew it. Whenever it ended, what did I do wrong? So it was a huge relief when I finally, finally noticed the attachment, and then just relaxed, you know, and stopped trying to recreate my experience. And it began to develop a period of having a really strong trust in the rhythms of my practice. A trust that um, what comes up if I'm sincere is what needs to come up. And that's, that's served me really well. But it always reminds me how much suffering we humans cause ourselves trying to be happy, trying to be free. When the factor of joy is strong and steady, after a while we might notice a, a little excitation in the joy that no longer feels so compelling. So we naturally want to drop that excitation. And at that point, that's when we begin to arouse the next factor of tranquility or calm, which calms that excitation. <clears throat> So the factor of tranquility or calm or ease, and I guess my mind was jumping ahead before, uh, the Pali word is pasadi. Um, uh, and some other words you can use is serenity, composure. Um, the calm or tranquility work for me. Um, we're familiar with the quality of calm um, in our daily lives. We all have some experience of relaxing, maybe at the end of a hard day of, um, of physical work, we lay down our bodies on the bed and go and just enjoy the uh, relaxation of our muscles. And there's a calmness in the body. Um, tranquility and calm are in the body and mind. It's a real body centered experience. 
um, <clears throat> before I started meditating, um, I first was, I was doing yoga as part of my spiritual group. <laughs> uh, we would end all our classes with corpse pose, shavasana. That's where you lay on your back and completely relax the body part by part. And I would get this wonderful feeling of calm and relaxation. I never made it to the end. I'd fall asleep somewhere in the middle. When I later started meditating, it took me by surprise that I could have that deep level of relaxation and calm and yet be completely alert and upright and holding myself up without falling over. Um, that my body just seemed to hold me up by itself. In, um, excuse me. <clears throat> um, in some ways, as, as her practice deepens, we progressively relax. As we settle the mind, we stop doing everything that's extra. From our ongoing thinking, to releasing the subtlest, unnecessary physical tensions. We often let go of tensions we don't even know were there. But it's not the relaxed state of a limp rag. As, our, as we relax our tension in the body and mind, um, we're no longer draining ourselves with all that work. So it frees up a lot of energy and we can feel really alert and alive, full of vitality. So it's a calm that's very intimate and alive. Um, it's connected. As the practice deepens, there's a natural quieting of our mental activity. Some of you may already have experienced that in this retreat, that the thoughts start slowing down. Not quite as many, not quite as frequent. Um, you know, and maybe you have one session where they're pretty, pretty sparse, and then the next one they're showing up more. Uh, but generally that's the, the direction that it goes in. And, uh, but calm keeps the mind balanced regardless of challenges. So we can have a hindrance arise or maybe a painful emotion. And we can have a deep sense of ease and calm when we investigate it. We, you know, we don't have to contract around the hindrance, around the painful emotion. We can be very, very peaceful and calm and hold it in that, in that space. Sometimes with difficult emotions, I tend to think of it as um, um, if a child is having a tantrum, um, it doesn't help if I yell back at them, right? Um, what helps is for me to be as calm as possible and be able to hold them as well as I can with that calm, with my peacefulness. Um, and in the same way, that's the way we want to approach the... the the hurts inside us, the hindrances inside us, the things that are contracted inside us. And when we develop this meditative tranquility in meditation, 
it not only becomes easier and easier to connect with it, but it naturally spreads into our daily lives. We can connect with calm at any given moment. And that's what's really wonderful about it. Um, like right now, if you take a deep breath and relax the body, just notice just one breath. And can you let go of any tensions? Are there any tensions in your body right this moment? Just one breath, can you relax something? And maybe not, but maybe there's a little something, maybe the belly's a little tight, maybe the shoulders. Um, maybe we're protecting a part of the body. Just one moment and we bring calm. If there's a rushing agitation, it just takes one breath to mindfully begin to relax the body. You know, these factors, um, they, they don't go away when you go from one factor to another. They're both there, you know, they're, they're all there. When we're, um, joy is, is predominant, um, mindfulness is there, investigation is there. It's even more interested in the moment. Um, the more joyful we are, the more interested. Well, this is really cool, you know, more interested. Um, the ability to see clearly and, um, and tranquility has the quality of joy in it. It's just a little more refined. Um, uh, tranquility is, includes that all that happiness, but with a deeper, deeper sense of peace and not so much excitement. There's like a relief and ease. So um, when people often talk about the practice, I hear this over and over, they often focus on getting concentrated, on um, bypassing calm. You know, um, you know, they go to concentration retreats to focus on concentration. Um, but the one thing about calm that's really valuable is that it allows us to see when desire is present. And in terms of the practice, that's, that's huge, that's huge. Um, you know, as I was saying, you know, when I got caught trying to recreate my joy, you know, that's desire, wanting, I, you know, and, and I was practicing, instead of practicing mindfulness, I was practicing wanting and wanting and wanting and uh, striving and striving, and I was getting better at it. <laughs> and um, so, Calm gives you enough room to see craving when it arises. And that's a really important piece of it. Um, and and uh, if desire isn't there anymore and calm is pervasive and it's strong and steady, then it naturally progresses into concentration, uh, which is a one-pointed unification of mind. 
And that's why, because it's one pointed, it may not, it doesn't, it's not really looking for, uh, mindful of, of desire. It's already, desire is already gone at that point. You're one pointed. Um, <clears throat> so striving and wanting just get in the way of the state. Yeah, one of my teachers used to say, um, uh, you know, contentment's a prerequisite of concentration, you know. And um, it took a lot of repetitions for that to penetrate. Um, I just kept going back to, I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm going to try really, really hard. And as we develop this meditative joy and tranquility, it strengthens our inspiration to um, continue developing the practice and to deeply trust our own practice. So I think I'll end with, um, it's a poem and some of you probably heard this by Naomi Shiab Nye. I think that's how she pronounces it. Uh, It's called So Much Happiness. It's difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there's something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands, like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house, singing, and disappears when it wants to. You're happy either way. Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful treehouse and now live over a quarry of noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches. And love, and love even the floor which needs to be swept or the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible You take no credit as the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it and in that way be known. Let's take a moment of silence. (laughs) 